Hello all, this is Eugene Anderson, Technology Director for Troy City Schools. I am very excited to give you a podcast today on what it takes to create a healthy organization. Um, in particular, uh, we'll be trying to discuss uh, what it takes for a school system, or a school rather, uh, to make certain that they are healthy with the decisions that they make. So I will briefly give you um, thoughts that I have on the selected articles that we have for this particular um, assignment. I will also give you three activities that I believe that organizations and schools in this case uh, can do to help improve their trust, their commitment and citizenship of the school or their organization. To get started, I first want to talk about the first reading that we had on this particular assignment. Uh, which is the effect of learning organizational culture on the relationship between interpersonal trust and organizational commitment. Very powerful article. Uh, there are so many nuggets that you can get from this particular article because it talks about, I think, the main concept of what builds a healthy organization, a healthy relationship, um, healthy school, and um, just anything healthy for that matter. And that's trust. In this particular article, they explain to you that the interpersonal trust is a major factor uh, behind learning in a certain work environment or in the organization. This is also known as authentic trust, where your relationships are very key to the success of a company, which basically these values can be seen throughout the entire organization. And these interpersonal trusts, they should work in uh, two ways. Uh, the trust from the, in my opinion, the leader or the, the, the head of the organization down to the members. And also from the members going to the leader. There should be trust both ways. Uh, the great thing about this particular trust that they are mentioning in this article is that it encourages collaborative learning efforts. And this is from everyone. And, and what's great about these learning efforts is as you begin to build this trust, uh, everyone begins to cooperate. Uh, just quickly, just to give you an idea of how this works um, in a school system, that uh, your trust first comes from your head principal or your superintendent. Once they deliver a vision, it's great to have a vision and a mission statement. But what's best is if you can get the trust behind that whatever their vision is, that principal or that superintendent will actually follow behind as well. They become the role models. They become the leaders uh, that, that you could actually follow because you trust not only what they say, but what they do. You see it in their everyday efforts. You see it um, every morning when you go to school or to work. And, and and you can just have conversations with these particular individuals and and just in their presence, you believe what they're saying. But then also on the actions, you see how a principal may react to the teachers and it, it's abiding by what the vision or their expectations is. And so I think that's very powerful, especially in, in an article like this, uh, that it keeps hitting that point as far as the trust that you should build um, and how from that trust that works both ways that you can begin to build 
this behavior in your organization. It's called positive behavior is what I like about this. So now uh, you are allowing this positive energy going into your, your system that now as the lead person or the superintendent or the principal, or the head of the organization, they now allow uh, because of their trust uh, with their employees, they allow the employees to begin engaged. So now you have this commitment of engaged employees. And what I mean by that is engagement to the point where you believe in them and you ask for their opinion. This is more going back to the collaborative learning efforts. So now everyone, uh, not only do they um, listen to the lead superintendent, lead principal, or lead organizational member, they also get uh, to collaborate and give their thoughts. And then they build this, this function. They build this, this system approach where everyone is uh, focused on the same vision, but because of that positive energy, because of that leader who allows uh, them to engage, then that builds more of those positive efforts, which is very, very healthy in any organization. In the next article, we explain social capital and with the title Social Capital X Exchange is Contribution to Morale. We will really uh, dive deep into um, how does social capital affect the morale of um, individuals. So first to, to define social capital, we basically are going to take the uh, interpersonal trust and the relationships that are built. Uh, this is what was dis- uh, we discussed in the first article. And then we are going to take those similar views and take those concepts uh, with this organization. We can now, I guess you could say, create a group that works well together or they're functional. So from the trust, from the the interpersonal skills that are built from the collaborative learning efforts. Uh, now we're building um, a functional system, as you will. And so with this being said, this has become what you can call a complex topic because social capital um, has so many meanings and it's all over the place um, and um, on the internet and how does this work? Is it good or is it bad? But we're just going to focus on basically social capital as uh, benefits of resources that you can receive. And so basically, uh, once you look at social capital from an organizational point of view, once you take the understanding of if I can trust you as a, a member of an organization, then I will, be, will begin to um, give you resources. And that goes for all of the members. So now you have members of an organization will begin to contribute uh, when they believe in that organization and they built those trusts, they built those relationships. So if done correctly, social capital can help create these relationships within the organization as they create these resources and they will begin to share what they know and how they could benefit the organization. Now they become, quote unquote, they're a part of the team. So they will reach out also uh, to possibly whoever they may know uh, to add more resources on top of what they know. So, for instance, if I am an educator 
and I have friends who are outside educators, but there may be some resources that they may have, whether or not it's um, information, it's digital tools that they may know that we're not using in our organization. But because I believe in what we are doing and I believe in our organization, then I could reach out to that friend or I could reach out to that person who I know to help me uh, or reach out and give resources to me. And so with that being said, uh, they would also reach out and add more resources. And, and, and in this case, in my opinion, um, as that continues to happen and this trust continues to build, you are now creating this, once again, this collaborative um, learning, this this big uh, I guess you could say pool of information that's given, and it's and it's all it's all positive based. It's all information that we all need. And so once these members begin to share their knowledge or their resources, uh, and they will then begin to reach out once again to not only those particular teachers who they know, but then they will reach out to family members. They will reach out to their friends. They will reach out. Uh, to organizations, I've seen uh, fraternities and sororities uh, that you are probably a member of. You will begin to reach out to them the actual lending hand when it comes to social capital. Um, so in, any any particular group that you are associated with, you tend to find members who believe in your vision, who begins to trust you. They will begin to open up those doors for others. Uh, what's great about this is because of this habit when it comes to social capital, uh, as long as it's done with uh, good morale, as long as it's done in a positive manner, then it will begin to duplicate itself throughout the organization. And members who are tied to it, they will begin to share resources. They will continue to share resources from these other members. But then what's great about that is it will reciprocate. Members on the outside will begin to share resources but also uh, they will probably get resources from the original organization as well. Uh, so now you have this point where in exchange organizations, they will begin to effectively contribute to organizational members will contribute to the outside members. And so to give you a, a, a better example of this, uh, once again, going to the teaching world, I've seen where uh, teachers who have access to one digital tool we share it with another school system. And because they build that relationship, then the other school system, as they begin to share resources of what they know, now we are sharing resources of what we know to that particular organization that helped us or that school that, that helped us. And this works very well when it comes to uh, teachers and teachers. Uh, I've seen it. Um, Teachers from our school system, they will reach out to teachers at the Auburn school system and they will build these relationships. You see them in social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, but also you will see it in the resources that they put in their lesson plans and they would give a shout out to that particular teacher. Another point I want to mention is social capital. It can contribute to these social interactions. Now, this is huge. Uh, when you're reaching out um, socially amongst the group where after you build these relationships and you, you begin to get to know each other. And what's great about that is 
uh, from the vision of those collaborative works and from the learning, you seem to find these members, organization, teachers, whoever you want to call it, uh, they begin to create social events. Or even from the principal side or the or superintendent side, uh, you create um, Christmas parties, you create um, um, barbecues, whatever you, you, you want to do, then you, you find out that these members of your organization begin to feel comfortable with having these um, outside relationships um, that's, once again, going by the good of the, of the morale, um, and they begin to work with each other. Uh, past that point, these organizations begin to build a strong clique around each other. And with that being said, this network that they create, it begins to spill over to everyone. And once again, like I said, it happens outside of the network. Um, I've seen um, members uh, participate in the same baseball team. I've seen members participate in the same functions or or. Uh, whatever the case may be, but this is the power of if social capitalism, uh, social capital rather, is used the correct way for morale to exchange that you will see how it can reciprocate um, once members begin to buy into that trust, buy into the vision, create these relationships, share resources, and then the, the wheel just keeps spinning. The next article I will talk about is Collective Efficacy Beliefs, Theoretical Developments, Empirical Evidence, and Future Directions. In your efficacy beliefs, uh, they basically can be used to explain, uh, first and foremost, why people make the certain decisions that they do. Uh, in this article, it explains that decisions that teachers in particular make they're influenced by their efficacy beliefs. This is a belief that actually dates back well into the 1970s, where it was discovered that one's perception of a particular subject, it can motivate them to respond in a certain way. And you find it's very true in education, very true, because the perception of what your administrators think of their teachers and then likewise, the perception of what teachers may think of students, that could possibly motivate them to achieve or even excel in academics or in their work. And in fact, the article also states that there are three types of efficacy beliefs that um, basically th derive from this theory. So we have self-efficacy, uh, the judgment of students which basically is just stating that this is where the belief of what you as a teacher perceive from your students uh, could help um, them, motiv help motivate them or help, help them with their achievement. Then there also are the teacher beliefs where they believe in themselves. They believe in what they can do, um, how well they could uh, do their curriculum or how well they can integrate technology in their classroom. Then you have the teacher's belief as a collective whole of how they uh, work together within the school. So this goes back into the, the, the culture of a school system. So 
Uh, what's interesting about this is though uh, the collective work of the school may be important, uh, in my opinion, in the role of the health and wellness of a school system, it is discussed less often um, amongst educators and administrators. And in order for a mission or a task to occur, I think that one uh, can go successfully. You must look at all of the efficacy beliefs for education, uh, primarily the collective efficacy. And uh, just to kind of piggyback off of that, where it was stated in the article, why that is of importance is because uh, for your health and well-being of a school system, you are building a culture. Uh, you are you are building, you're motivating individuals. And of course, we know that starts at the top. But when that starts at the top and your administrators are um, giving you a vision so so on, that collective efficacy of, of, of teachers working with each other, uh, sharing the same informational resources, it could really impact everyone. From there, I believe that uh, after those teachers believe in a collective effort, um, then you begin to see more and more teachers believing in themselves individually. And so they will begin to try. And I've, I've seen this happening in, in school systems that I work with, where those teachers who are afraid to try something different, as long as they are around the right people, the right teachers, that motivate them, then you can see those efficacy beliefs um, enhance as far as what they're trying to do. And so they begin to try different things. They try different uh, technology, digital tools. They go out on the limb. They not concerned about um, and get being embarrassed or whatnot. And so um, that's, in my opinion, I just believe that the mission or vision of a school, you, you cannot survive with any one of your efficacy beliefs are failing. And so that's why I think it is very important that we address all three situations. And like I mentioned, after you build the collective group and then the teachers begin, begin to believe in themselves, uh, now you can see the expectations of the students. And then students will know that those teachers are genuine and begin, and then they will begin uh, on on the side of, of self-efficacy, they will be, they will believe in themselves as well. Um, you see this in testing. You see this in trying uh, different um, experiments in school or if there's a STEM program that you're trying to abide by. If the students believe in the teachers because the teachers believe in themselves and the teachers believe in the environment, then you will definitely see a healthy school system. The next article I would like to talk about is School Mindfulness and Faculty Trust. What's powerful about this article is that with School Mindfulness and the Faculty Trust, this basically explains the fact that faculty members can trust their administrators uh, to the point where their mindfulness actions that they will do, it will basically cause teachers to not be afraid to try they would not be afraid to do anything in school. In other words, they will go above and beyond in the classroom when it comes to creativity and innovations. 
this is due because teachers will not be afraid to make mistakes. And to me, this is where the innovation of teachers take place. They, when they can experiment with their lessons or their curriculum, and they believe that the administrators have their back, then you will begin to see more uh, creativity in the classroom. You will begin to see teachers trying different uh, apps. They will begin to try, they will begin to research more. They begin to do more things with their students. And so the concept of mindfulness in schools, it can be broken down into two categories. Uh, and this was very interesting in this particular article where there's an individual mindfulness and the organizational mindfulness. And so with the individual mindfulness, everything is based on rules. Individuals can follow the rules. They would not question anything. They would just basically play it safe. In this case, it's not necessarily mindfulness, but mind mindlessness, the way the article explained it, where though this may seem safe, in my opinion, there's no innovation, there's no creativity occurring because of these teachers. They want to stay in this shell that's been created by these rules. And so let me preface this by saying I'm, I'm, I'm not wanting us to be a rule breaker or to break the rules that are given there there for a reason, especially in school when you're dealing with students and you're dealing with the community. But there are times where we try to tell teachers, sometimes you can test the boundaries of those rules. If you are following rules or abiding by rules just because of the sake of you abiding by rules, then you will never tap into your mindfulness. So when you begin to ask questions, when you begin to give reasonable thoughts, when you begin to ask that why question, and I only ask that why question, uh, because of course, you know, sometimes most administrators do not like you to keep asking them why. But if you can give reason behind it, uh, if you could explore for yourself and 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 this trust that's built uh, between the teachers and administrators, when you can build that particular trust, uh, then you will see this mindfulness action take place. And then this is what I call those game changers in education. Those who come go out in front, the front runners, the ones who are not afraid to try. Uh, so this concept can also work for administrators as well. Those administrators who will try to go above and beyond for their teachers and their students because they understand that there are rules in place and they, they do abide by the rules. But once again, what I'm saying is they they look at ways of of understanding why the rule was in place, why we're doing what we're doing. If we know that the the focus is for student achievement. And so this mindfulness will allow administrators and teachers uh, to become forever learners and what I, what we call in education, where you are consistently learning or you are consistently wanting to get more information on how to do something. This is definitely key in technology integration where a teacher could look at a digital tool and read the rules, once again, rules on how the digital tool should work but then ask questions of why it works this way and could it possibly work in a different way. Uh, for, for instance, there are a lot of technology tools that I know 
that for the most part, they are specifically, I would call teacher, teacher digital tools. What I like to do is ask that same question. Why? Why can only teachers use it? And so as a tech director, what I enjoy doing is taking those particular tools and showing administrators how to use those tools as an administrator. So we're not showing them how to use the tool just for the sake of using the tool, but to take a digital tool that most teachers use and show administrators how to use it. And so instead of building, uh, going back to the, the concept of mindlessness, so instead of building basic habits or routines, uh, you will find that these teachers, they're looking for ways to uh, teach the lessons in different ways. And so these are the individuals who I feel can take uh, the teaching, the same subject, basically that they teach year in and year out, they could teach it in a different way. So a teacher who would teach a particular subject in 2018, they would teach it differently in 2019. Those are your individual mindfulness teachers or even administrators. Uh, as it relates to organizational mindfulness, uh, this is reflected around organizations and how they are willing to change as a collective group. And so once again, going back to the mindlessness, uh, if you are an organization who has that concept of mindlessness, uh, these are the organizations that are more concerned about failure. Um, they are not trying to do any types of changes because they know that parents will be upset, students will get upset, teachers may even get upset. And so they're trying to... Uh, play it by the rules. And so this organization, they may, you know, fear teachers to become rebellious uh, because of this type of change. But what they don't realize is that in this organization, that if it was created for a mindfulness approach, then the culture can change or the culture would shift in the favor of the organization. There's a book that I've read. Uh, I'm very fond of it. Um, several books, as a matter of fact, that I've read, but one in particular is um, culture rised and it's a crazy way of how this particular um, author um, explained his book but basically in culture rise uh, the the author explains that administrators uh, should go above and beyond when it comes to the mindfulness approach of showing the teachers that if i'm willing to change and do certain things that you could do the same as far as a teacher. And so basically in the book, it kind of discussed different ways of how you could uh, uh, do things different, how you can basically shift the culture or do a culture shock of what you do that's routine. You break these routines, you break these habits. And, and we're not saying this in a negative connotation, but the reason why you're breaking these habits it's because you are trying to change the culture in a positive way for student engagement, uh, student achievement, and um, just for them to excel. Because that is the ultimate goal where you're looking at um, trying not to get too much off of mindfulness, but you're looking at the traditional formats of way schools work versus these non-traditional. So that's a great book to pick up, um, culturize, that can kind of explain uh, mindfulness in its own way. And so to uh, finish this particular article, I, I like how it kind of explains a project or a survey that was done for a particular school system and how it looked at two different scales. It took the school mindfulness 
approach and created scale. Then likewise, it took what you call an omnibus T-scale, and they pretty much gave these, I would call them surveys, to a group of teachers in the school to just scale themselves. And they also gave it to administrators as well. And what's interesting is what was found uh, from these particular measurements. Uh, for school mindfulness in particular, they focused in on the mistakes of a school, whether or not teachers felt like they need to hide their mistakes or teachers felt like um, that the other teachers in their building can learn from their mistakes so things won't happen again. They looked at um, simplifying situations where the principal knows how to, I uh, guess you could say, negotiate um, amongst the faculty without upsetting anybody or making certain that everything is still moving accordingly in his school, his or her school system. Uh, there was another where uh, their commitment level uh, was on the measurement where the question, what was interesting was when there is a crisis, um, how does the principal react? How, how does the principal deal with that towards a teacher? And this would actually be a great survey, in my opinion, to any school system to just give yourself an idea of what the teachers think when it comes to mindfulness, when uh, situations may arise, or uh, you could probably give them a question of if, if there's a particular rule that you're questioning or you, know, you want to think about doing something different, how do you approach that? Or do you have the belief or the trust behind your administrator where if you work on a situation and you do thorough research and it works for the for the betterment of the school system, um, how would that person respond? Likewise, which is the aha moment, uh, what if you fail? What if the teacher, uh, the, the, what they're trying to do doesn't work? Uh, would the principal be upset about the situation? Or will there be just a, a, a conference where it's still motivating that teacher to try it again, uh, just to go back and just think about it, recap what happened, what went wrong, what could have worked, and move forward? I make certain that I do that in my role as tech director when I encourage teachers to try different things when it comes to integrated technology. And so there are a lot of times that teachers will come back to me and let me know what didn't work, what failed, what device didn't want to turn on or what app uh, couldn't work because of our filters or whatever the case may be. Or just the teacher had a, a, a very great uh, time with the particular tool that they use. And so you get those different um, objectives or outcomes. And I think that as administrators, we should make certain that we continue to keep that healthy environment where we are encouraging teachers to continue to try. And so I, I thought that was a very great um, um, measurement at the very end on this particular matter of the school mindfulness in the school system. By now, in the articles that we discussed um, so far in this particular assignment, you would notice that there is a relationship between um, how members of the organization may respond to their leaders depending on one occurring theme. And I think that theme is trust. 
And I know in this particular uh, podcast that I'm, I'm doing right now, we're going to we're discussing basically uh, the roles of how could leaders um, impact the organization members by their trust and um, how well they trust their members and then how well their members trust them. And then, of course, eventually we're going to explain and recap uh, everything that we just discussed. And so to explain this particular article, Fostering Teacher Professionalism in Schools, the Role of Leadership, Orientation and Trust, uh, it's a very, very touchy subject, I would say. The reason being is because the the question that, that comes to, to my mind as I read this article is, um, if, if I was to put this in front of an administrator's face and have them read this, how would they respond to me? And of course, uh, I think that's contingent upon the, uh, the, the, the characteristics or the personality of that particular administrator, because I think all administrators may lead differently. And so I guess what's coming out of this article is uh, maybe not to tell you which way you should lead, but to give you an idea of how you can create uh, your organization in a, uh, in a bureaucratic way. And so uh, what, I, what I enjoy about this article um, is looking at the particular table where it explains um, how schools can be perceived in a professional um, bureaucratic way. And so when I look at the first picture or the first, um, I guess you can say, figure, is a figure based, try to give you a, a detailed explanation. It's a, it's a figure of a triangle, and the triangle has at the very top school leaders, and then it breaks it down below teachers, and then it has an arrow. And so in my mind, it kind of explains, first, you have to look at the the symbol of the triangle, where the top level is always smaller than the bottom level. In other words, you have the foundation, which which is always bigger, and then you have uh, the top of the triangle. The smaller area is always where uh, your leaders are. And then the arrow kind of explains, uh, in my opinion, how communication is traveled from school leaders on down. Okay, uh, moving on, I'm skipping um, a particular figure, but then when you move on to the professional organization, which the article kind of explains in depth, uh, the triangle is reversed. And so the foundation or the the base of the triangle or the base of the organization is at the top, which is the teachers. And then the bottom of the triangle or the, the, the top of the triangle is now at the bottom, which is the school leaders. And then communication is going from your teachers to your school leaders. And so during the article, it kind of explains to you um, how the two of these uh, professional bureaucracies can work in an organization. And it gives you its limitations. And what just me speaking on this, I can see both um, occurring and happening. Um, where there's always principals who believe that because they are the leaders of the organization, that they become micromanagers, uh, they push out the rules, they make sure that teachers are doing what they expect of them without um, building those trust factors or without building 
that culture of we are working together versus you are working for me and you're going to do what I ask you to do. And I see that. I see that in in sometimes with emails with administrators send out that it is more of a authoritative email of what you are going to do or what you are not going to do. And going back to the professional organization at times, you see where the teachers not necessarily leading the school leaders, but the teachers are the foundation um, of the organization. And in a professional manner, the teachers can help the administrators out by letting them know their beliefs, um, telling them what they think they should happen in school systems. Because even though the administrators are running the school and the the book stops there, well, and, and that uh, reference uh, the teachers are in the classrooms. So the teachers know their students. The teachers know what is going on in these particular classrooms. And so with that being said, you, you don't see the micromanagement. Um, there are still rules um, for those particular organizations. But then the teachers get to put their insight on these particular rules. I think that teachers begin to feel like they are a part of the group. Um, but now going back to this particular table, the best figure is to figure out what's in the middle, where there are uh, two concepts created, two figures created within one. And so to paint this picture again for you, there are two triangles. And so basically you take the machine bureaucracy and you take the professional organization bureaucracy and you put them together and you get this uh, professional bureaucracy where there's a combination of and, and the communication factor of when teachers could help lead and facilitate. Likewise, when school leaders could help lead and everybody is on an equal basis, even though still school leaders are the ultimate decision makers. I feel that in this particular um particular table, it shows that there is a, a, a guided effort from everyone. So there's no micromanagement. There are still rules that are being abided by, but they, everyone is abiding by the same rules. But the factor that I wanted to mention, which is in all of these articles, is it builds trust. And so now teachers are beginning to fully trust their leaders. They're beginning to trust their administrators. Likewise, the administrators are beginning to trust their teachers in that particular concept. And so going more into this article, what stands out to me again is uh, what, where do we go from here? So after we build this, this professional orientation or this professional bureaucracy, uh, what, what does the article, what is the article telling us? That uh, its goal is to get schools to create or adopt what you call a professional learning community uh, type of organization. And that includes everyone from the faculty to the administrators, to the students, to the custodian, to everyone. Everyone has a part in your organization when you could build this, uh, what we call PLC or professional learning community. Uh, what I mentioned to you um, in, in the last article uh, what's that concept of ongoing learners? I believe that as you create a professional learning community, everyone is consistently learning because 
Their goal is to continue to figure out how to change the culture, how to remain relevant, and how to get the students to excel and achieve. And everyone is excited. Everyone is happy of what they're doing. There's trust. Uh, the, the organization is healthy. Um, the well-being of everyone is great. And you will begin to see uh, magical things happen. And besides that, you will also see the results of um, how, how it's impacting, um, I guess you could say, uh, student performance. Uh, is graduation rate rising? Um, are their grades um, going up a, a different level? So forth and so on. And so you get to see that as uh, you dive into creating this professional learning community. And so once again, once you create this PLC, then everyone is working with everyone. Administrators are learning from teachers. Teachers are learning from students. Parents are learning from other uh, members of the group or they're learning from other parents. And you begin to see this circle of trust that's continues. And so that was a very, very powerful article. Could be more, um, uh, I guess, uh, conflict within that article as far as how you as an administrator running your own system or just any any leader who runs the organization because at times uh you you, you may have to be um authoritative um, as far as getting your point across uh there's a situation where you may have to uh micromanage if things are not happening in the way that you want them to happen um but 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 also remember that you can begin these discussions with your teachers on uh, what makes you uh, comfortable or what makes you uh, work harder, so and so on. And then that kind of goes back to the last article where they have those particular uh, methods um, when it comes to mindfulness. And so going back to this particular article, I, I think they, they kind of work hand in hand. And so remember that in all of our articles that we mentioned, the biggest factor to create this well-being or this health in these organizations from all these articles for what I gather is the, the concept of the trust that starts from the leaders, then the trust that starts from the teachers themselves, the trust that the teachers have about themselves, and then the collective whole that they all have. And then from that point, they create this professional learning community that no one can infiltrate or break. Here are some activities that could be used to help with the organization and how they could do better when it comes to uh, building trust, uh, building mindfulness, and building collective efficacy. And so there are so many things that you can do out there. And um, hopefully uh, these activities that, that I give you, and I'm going to try to explain all of them uh, and hope they're not broad or anything, uh, but hopefully some of them you are already doing so or so on. And but they could help you with uh, building your organization from as a teacher, as a leader, as an administrator, um, anyone who's a part of education. And so going back to trust, I think that I wanted to get started with the staff meeting. And with the staff meetings, 
they should be more of a collective effort. What I mean by that is recently I did a presentation at a very well uh, known tech conference. And in my presentation, uh, which is a ways of flipping the staff meeting, I explained to administrators that that when it comes to building trust amongst your teachers, if they feel like they are involved, uh, they will begin to do more. Uh, they will begin to trust you. And so with this particular activity, I, I mentioned that when it comes to the staff meeting, uh, ahead of time, you can actually ask teachers, uh, what do they think? What do they want to uh, discuss? Um, but then this also could be contingent upon the, about the messages that you want to give across. And so basically, <clears throat> let everyone get involved. Everyone should feel like that they could assist with your staff meetings versus just you giving orders. Uh, that moves on to my next activity or my next thought behind building trust uh, is your expectations on communication. And so you can give when you communicate to your your teachers or your faculty members, give them reasonable expectations and do it in a respectful manner, um, because you got to remember your teachers are people and you are trying to build this organization. You're trying to build trust among them. And so this trust is built on this concept. As long as you as administrator, uh, you continue to communicate effectively and you let your teachers know what is going on. You're not just communicating to for the sake of communications. You are communicating to let teachers know here are our expectations. This is what's going on in the school system. Um, if you heard about this in the news, I would like to explain this and and you, and you keep going. And then I, in my opinion, I think that you begin to build that trust where if you can openly have discussions with your teacher. So not only do you communicate uh, that way to them, you offer the same offer back to the, uh, as far as um, criticism or so on and so on. And so you allow them to also respond back to you when it becomes that communication. So it becomes a two way means of communication. So instead of just sending out emails, you ask, hey, is there anything else that you can think of? Uh, let me know. And you actually take that in as administrator. So don't just say that. And that's the main point going back to trust. Some teachers feel like sometimes administrators could say something just because it's a routine check just to say it. But mean what you say. So if you're going to have a conversation, you're going to communicate and you're going to be open about it, make certain that if you do offer those lines of communication coming back towards you, that you do respond accordingly um, and on time to your teachers. Um, another point that I want to make is uh, to give certain roles to your teachers. Uh, there are a lot of teachers who have been in education for 20, 25 plus years, and that is just a wealth of knowledge that those particular teachers have. And not just talking about teachers who teach 20, 25 years. There may be some what we call hot rod teachers who come in with great ideas and so forth and so on. The goal is to, is to take the advice from them, listen to them. So if you're and going back to just this, the concept of building trust, if your teachers believe that they can talk to you, they could give advice and that you actually uh, take it in, you listen to the opinions and you... Uh, try to um, apply them, uh, then that builds that trust within that teacher. Now they believe that they can talk to you. Uh, they believe that they could speak with you. And I'm going back to the staff meetings. 
you would know that 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 trust is being built is when you actually ask your teachers, are there any questions? They will ask you questions. If they are quiet and silent, besides it being a boring staff meeting, possibly, they will want to be engaged and let you know what they're thinking. So that's one of the those are some of the activities in my mind that I think of when it comes to trying to build that trust. Moving on to mindfulness, um, <clears throat> we have to remember that uh, mindfulness is basically an act. And so what better way to begin the act of your organization and how they respond uh, by you as an administrator trying something different or you as a teacher trying something different or new. And so I'm just going to pick the administrators on this particular subject uh, that basically if you try something different and you try something new, let your teachers know. Tell them, hey, guys, I am trying something different. I am going out of my element. I'm going out of my comfort zone and I am going to try this. And then as you try it, you encourage your teacher to do the same. Try something different. And so uh, to give you an example of this would be my current um, administrative trainers that I give to administrators where I encourage them to do something different or I encourage them to use some type of digital tube that they never used before or even the digital tools that they expect the teachers to use. The, I encourage the administrators to learn how to use them as an administrator. And then you start that communication. You you connect with your teachers on that way. And so that mindfulness uh, factor that will, would, that would begin uh, to occur would be that your teachers would then begin to do the same. They will begin to try different things because now they're not afraid because you're telling them that, hey, I may have tried something. It may have worked or I may have tried something and I failed. And so that that transparency that you have builds that mindfulness. So now your organization as a whole will hopefully begin to try different things. They will, they will begin to try different activities, knowing that my administrator believes in me. And if, and if this doesn't work, uh, we're going to learn from it. We're going to grow from it. We're going to try something different. And we're going to figure out how uh, we can continue to move forward as an organization or as a whole. And so that's, I think that is powerful when it comes to, to building that mindfulness that you are allowing your teachers to what we call bend the rules per se, not break the rules, but kind of bend the thoughts process behind that. And so with that being said, this also could be encouraged once again, my staff meetings where uh, you could probably ask your teachers um, during the staff meeting, Hey, has anyone done anything different or would you like to promote something uh, to give you another example? We use, Google Classroom as a professional learning um, community where we tell our teachers, hey, if you're doing something great in your classroom, uh, don't be afraid to 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 share that wealth. Or if you're doing something in your classroom and you, or you tried something different and it didn't work, uh, br- let us know. And then that way we hopefully that the administrators get involved as well to also explain things that they've tried. And, and, I, and I think that builds that positive mindfulness um, in that organization as that continue to happen. Uh, to give you another point, going back to Google Classroom, we use Google Classroom as a means of collecting lesson plans. That's great. But on the level of you're using this too as to just collect lesson plans, I challenge our administrators 
at times, hey, make certain that you read some of the lesson plans. I know that you have to, but truly read them. And at times, uh, give your thoughts. And so that is powerful because you have to understand that these teachers are creating lesson plans week in, week out, trying to figure out how to be innovative, how to be creative, um, how to uh, make sure that they're 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 doing the standards, and no one is really acknowledging the lesson plans. Even though we know it's meant for them, but what I challenge administrators at times is to take the time to talk to a teacher to say, "Hey, I read your lesson plan. It was great." Or send an email to say, "Hey, I'm I saw that you are doing this project, and I'm going to come by." And so that goes back to one building trust again, but two also building that mindfulness that. We all are going to try. We all are going to do different things. And that builds that culture. That goes to my third point of this collective um, efficacy that as an administrator or as a teacher, a lead teacher, that you make your beliefs known to your people. Uh, basically, you're going to let them know, hey, this is what I believe in. This is what I, w- I would like to try. And so what I, what I mean by that is... Uh, for instance, the things that you are doing currently, if there's a if it's a project or initiative that you truly take it in. So, for instance, most school systems by now have some sort of initiative when it comes to technology. And in, in particular, it's always a one to one initiative. There's always a device to a student. Going back to the conference that I, I attended, I, I, I like the, the session that I went to where the, the person mentioned that one-to-one is only a math problem. And so what he meant by that is the initiative itself is where you build the beliefs behind what you're doing. And so going back to this collective efficacy that instead of giving devices to students, telling the teachers your expectations of what you want to do, uh, that you you follow behind the initiative as well. Uh, you be the person, the, the cornerstone or in, or in the forefront to let others know, hey, this is our initiative. This is what we believe. This is why we're doing this. And you put the why behind that. And then you will see that that collective efficacy begin to build within your organization. Uh, another thing that I wanted to mention is uh, to send messages to your teachers every so often. Uh, I got this idea, once again, from a great superintendent um, at, at this same particular conference where he mentioned that he's trying to do something different. And the one thing that he that he did that was different for his organization that really changed the culture, that really changed uh, the mind, the mindfulness, the, the trust and everything in his organization is he took every morning to write a note to one of his teachers to let them know the great things that they're doing. So now here's the point and here's why this is so powerful. Not only is it just a standard message of, Hey, keep up the good work. I enjoy what you're doing, which is great to do. But the idea of you as a superintendent or even a principal or leader of an organization, you take the time to do observations where you are actually looking at what that particular teacher is doing in the classroom. Then that becomes your message that the message is a simple message, but it's a powerful message. Hey, I heard that you were trying this new tool in the classroom 
and I really enjoyed. Oh, hey, uh, you may have not haven't noticed, but I was in the hallway when I peeped into your door and I saw what you were doing in the classroom with those students. That was amazing. Keep the job up. Or going back to the lesson plans. Hey, that was a great lesson plan that you did. And I forgot to tell you, but I, I, I did view what you were doing on that particular day. And that was a great job. Those are the messages that I recommend that you also give out to your particular uh, people to build that collective efficacy. And to finish this, I would say uh, you can also try um, to group your teachers together based on their strengths uh, because we and weaknesses because we, we also want to try to build this particular cross-curriculum. And I think that would be a great idea, especially when we are looking at uh, these collective efficacy efforts of everyone's a part of the same mission, their beliefs are the same, and they are going in the same direction and they are doing the same thing that um, most of their teachers are doing in the efforts of, once again, the bottom line, student achievement, um, you, and the collaboration and connection with your parents and your community. In closing, I would like to first say how this assignment has really, truly helped me on my journey as a district technology director, uh, starting from the, the first concept of watching those funny Geico commercials to understanding the roles of how technology is impacting um, our profession as it regards to education. And not to say that, of course, it's going to be a point in time where education will be, well, teachers rather, will be changed out by robots or technology. But um, we do know that um, effective education or effective learning uh, will be on contingent upon how well that teacher could integrate technology into their classroom. But I'm going to take it a step further and say also how well administrators can integrate the technology in their daily routines and daily habits can also be uh, effective and, and, and impactful. And so going from that concept to the articles that we read, uh, and you, you get to see and understand how each article actually kind of relates to itself uh, amongst all, all each other because of the fact that one, you're building trust. And as you build this trust, you build your organization, you build your community, you build the resources. And so going back to uh, this, the, the concept of, of bringing technology in into this scenario, I, I, I like the idea of how technology can impact the health of an organization. Now, by saying that, I don't mean that technology should be the main factor but technology is the vehicle to drive your main factors so we still go back to as you begin to build your curriculum as you begin to look at your standards as we begin from the administrative level as we begin to figure out what we could do to enhance our student learning to enhance teacher learning, to enhance professional learning communities, 
we look at how technology can be very impactful on um, saying that. And so uh, for me, uh, my personal learning objectives as I begin to um, go through this process um, this in this great assignment is to understand that uh, there are certain things that you have to look at as far as an organization and how it works. For instance, once again, when it goes back to technology, you can't use technology or you cannot expect technology to be used in an organization if first and foremost, trust is not there. Uh, in other words, yes, technology is great. Digital tools are perfect at times, but the expectations is not there for the administrators. They probably have an idea of what you're doing in the classroom, but they do not communicate what they want you to do with the, the technology. Likewise, sometimes they have no clue of what you're doing in the classroom. And so with that being said, technology becomes a hindrance for you. But then there's points on the positive note where that trust is built. The expectations are there. Uh, when it comes to the mindfulness, you begin to see administrators believe in the, the resources that they have, that they share them. And then from that standpoint, teachers begin to share resources. And so then technology can come in to assist uh, with this particular culture. And so, so that's, that's the power of how technology can impact any organization as long as you look at these particular uh, concepts, whether or not it is, once again, um, your trust level as a teacher or administrator, the commitment that you bring within the organization, you know, is it, is it a positive commitment? Are you committing 100 percent to to the to the vision or to the mission? Uh, are you bringing resources uh, when it, are you collectively bringing resources or working together? Your mindfulness as far as how you perceive how technology could be used or how it can impact. Remember, we're not trying to break rules, but we're just trying to do things differently. Uh, and that goes back to, to traditional means of education versus uh, non-traditional methods that could, could really impact the students. Because we have to remember that we are training or we are showing these students uh, and we're preparing them on things where they may not even see. Uh, I, I, I love when school systems reference the kindergartens to say this is the class of 2030. And that is huge to understand how technology will even impact these students then. And so we have to be mindful of what we are teaching these students. And so going back to that, we look at uh, social capital of our organizations and how that technology can benefit uh, social capital. Going back to even though we know that that's a, 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 a particular sketchy concept, but if you if talked about first of all correctly and understanding how uh, social capital can work, then you can have a positive um, on on the morale of your individuals and even the organization. And so once again, um, just in closing, uh, technology could really really impact the health of an organization as long as these concepts are brought forth. So notice that in the closing, I'm saying, bring forth the concepts first, bring forth the why first. So as a tech director, I try to remind my administrators and teachers, we have to remember why we are doing what we are doing. And then we will figure out how we could bring technology 
to impact what we're currently doing. Because remember, technology is only going to enhance the learning. It's going to enhance achievement. It's going to enhance what we're doing or it's going to decrease it. And so it's going to do one or the other. So once again, this is this is you, John Anderson, Technology Director for Troy City Schools. And this is my podcast. Thank you.